What is up, Cape Christian Church Online? Thanks so much for joining us. Whether it is live while we're here or later on in the future, you are part of a large online community, and we are so glad to have you with us for this Good Life series. Now, we're in week three of the Good Life, and we're exploring what is this good life that God has for us. And we're looking at the fact that it might be a little bit different than the good life that maybe the culture around us or the world is offering. And, and, and we are constantly being bombarded with this idea that this good life is being offered us and we can get whatever we want, as much as we want, as fast as we want. That's what technology in our world is designed to do. And we can take it all the way back to Burger King in I think the 80s and 90s who started out with the have it your way. We have a have it your way society or as the Backstreet Boys would say, I want it that way. My guys, child of the 90s. Well, regardless, we've been talking about the idea that sometimes what we think we want or what we want more immediately is actually in conflict with what we ultimately value or what we, what we think is most important in the long run. We've been saying it this way, that what we naturally want is often in conflict with what we ultimately value. But here's the really good news. You were created by a God who didn't leave anything out. He knows you and he knows not just what you want, but he knows what you ultimately need. And he wants for you what you really want. Let me say that again. What your heavenly father, what God wants for you is actually in line with what you really want. Now, where the rubber meets the road is, do we discover what we really want, ultimately want, or are we continue to be kind of enticed by what we think we might want? And so we've been asking the question, what does God really want for me? And the Bible is clear. Paul is writing in this letter, this chapter that we've been looking in Galatians chapter five, and he starts with it and then he puts it back in the middle. What does God want for us? If you know it, you can type it in. It starts with an F. He says this, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. God wants you to be free. God wants you to be free. But then Paul says, don't use your freedom. He says, goes on, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another humbly in love. So there's two things that we see. Paul saying, God wants you to be free. He wants you to have freedom. We talked about that week one of this series. You can go back and watch it. But then he says, don't use your freedom just to satisfy or indulge yourself. And and a couple of examples come to mind. Uh, it's, it's like a, a, a story I heard recently of, of a, a man who had lost his driver's license. He had been drunk driving. He got a DUI and he did all, went through all the steps, rehab and got his license back. But his wife was really kind of nervous and terrified that he was now that he had his license back, he was going to use his freedom to indulge himself and go back where he came from. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, don't just indulge yourself to go back where you came from. Or another example would be, I used this last week, but Facebook. Well, our First Amendment gives us the right and the freedom to say whatever we want. But Paul does, says, don't just say whatever you want or don't use it for however you want or gratify the desires of your flesh, but rather add value and serve people in love. And then Paul goes in and he says this. He's going to talk about this contrast, this conflict that we all experience inside. He says, so I'm going to say to you, walk by the Spirit and you won't satisfy or gratify, gratify the desires of the flesh. He goes on in verse 17, he says, for the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit and the spirit what's contrary to the flesh. He says, these are at war with each other. And so we talked about this last week and we talked about 
What does the flesh want? The flesh is what we think we want. We said the flesh is our sinful nature, our broken nature, and it's what we think we want, the immediate satisfy me nature, natural needs. But it's in contrast or in conflict with the spirit. And the spirit is living God's way. It's the good life. It's the best possible way to live. In fact, in John 10, 10, when Jesus said, I came to give you life and life abundantly, the, the connotation of that, that statement is, I came to give you the best possible way to live. It's this idea of keeping in lockstep with the spirit. And we know that that is actually what we, what we actually want. And so this idea of the good life is, the good life is this life that God has for us. God has good things for you. He wants good things for you. Every good parent wants good things for their children and God is no different. And so last week we looked at what happens if I just go with what I think I want? What if I go with my flesh? And we talked about all the things and we talked about trying to fill this idea, this filling our heart with stuff the world has to offer. In fact, um, the, the, the quote was from Pascal and, and, and it says this, that there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person and it can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled by God made known through Jesus Christ. And so essentially Pascal is saying there's a God-sized or God-shaped hole in everybody's heart and there's nothing in this world, there's no created thing that will ever fill that. And if you weren't with us last week, we spent the majority of the message trying to fill that and looking at all the things the world has to offer that will never fulfill. But now Paul, as we go through chapter five of Galatians, is about to contrast that with, that was the not good life. And now he's gonna introduce the good life. And so this today is essentially what Paul is writing is, if God had his way, forget have it your way, Burger King, forget Backstreet Boys. This is if God had his way. If he could override your life, if he could take control of your life, which he never will do, but if he had his way, Paul is about to write, here would be the outcome if God had his way. This is what God wants your life to look like. Galatians 5.22 says this, but, and that word but is in reference to the acts of the sinful nature we talked about last week. He says, however, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Stop me when this starts to sound terrible. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Nine things, nine fruits. And Paul is saying, this is the outcome that God desires for you. This is what I think you ultimately actually value and want. And if God had his way, you would experience this and keep in step with this. In fact, he goes on to say, against such, there is no law. And so Paul is basically kind of drawing this line of this, this idea of keeping in step with the spirit produces these things. And so it's kind of like this idea of driving down a road and God is saying, and Paul is saying, if you keep in step with the spirit, you stay on the road. And on one side is using your freedom to indulge yourself. We'll call that one ditch is, is using your freedom to indulge yourself. And this other ditch is rules and legalism that tries to get you in right standing with God and the law. And that's never going to work either. And Paul is saying, the law and, and, and religion isn't going to help you. Using your freedom isn't going to help you. But keeping in step with the Spirit is going to keep you out of the ditches and on to the road, going where God wants to take you. And so 
I want to talk about these things that I think ultimately we all want in our lives. Now, I know some of you are thinking maybe, oh, I don't know about that love and all peace, joy. I don't know. I don't know about all that. I want, I want an F-150. Actually, no, Pastor. I want a Raptor and I want a garage that fits the Raptor. I don't want love. I want her. I don't want peace. I want him. I don't want kindness. I want that. But I want to talk about just the first three. I want to spend a good portion on just the first three. Love, joy, and peace. Because here's what I think is true about these three things. Love, joy, peace. I think these three things would solve most of your problems. I think these three things would definitely solve most of your relationship problems, whether it be coworkers, family, spouse, etc. So let's talk about this. The first one is love. Paul is saying, this is what God wants for you. This is what I think you ultimately want is love. Love is the highest value in the kingdom economy. Now in the Greek world, they had four different words for love and they're important to know. One was erotic sexual love. One was like devotion to a family member. One was like mutual satisfaction, friendship. But this other one, and the word that, that, that Paul uses here is this word agape, A-G-A-P-E, agape. And it's this idea of no strings attached, irregardless of response, not about what I can get, but what can I give? Paul is saying, this is a fruit of the spirit. It's that ability to love someone who is unlovable. It's the ability to forgive someone, even though they aren't sorry, even though they don't deserve it. Love. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but every year, year in and year out, the number one Google search in America throughout the whole year is what is love? Love. It is obvious that we have a culture searching for and crying and demanding a love. And God is saying, I can define that for you and I can help you to walk in it and experience it. Love would solve a lot of your problems. Joy, second one, joy. What I love and I think is so unique about this word joy is joy is very different than our, our word happiness. For us, this, that, that word happiness means if something I get or something good happens to me, I feel these emotions in a moment. But the word joy in the Greek is actually this word kara, which comes from charis, which is where we get the word charity which is connected to this idea of grace. Isn't that fascinating? That joy has less to do with what I get or what happened to me, but receiving grace or charity. It's not a human-based happiness that comes and goes, but rather true joy is divine in origin and is produced by the grace of God. There's this joy that understands I'm broken, I'm flawed, I'm unlovable, I've made mistakes, yet God in his infinite love has decided that he has good things for me and he has a plan for me and he wants to love me. And it brings about this joy that is above and beyond your circumstances. So you don't need your circumstances to dictate your happiness. The grace and love of God moves you to joy. And when you're aware of that and you walk in it, you experience this joy and it doesn't matter what you're experiencing. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. In fact, joy is to be able to step into difficult circumstances and still experience joy. You know some of these people. You, you've met these people where they're going through a hard time and things are rough and the economy or they lost their job and they don't know. And it's like, they have this, this joy and it's like, you thought they were on something or like in just complete denial. You're like, what's wrong with these people? But Paul is saying, when he writes about joy, What's really interesting, if you look, he writes a lot about joy almost always when Paul writes about joy in the New Testament. Think about this. It's almost always in times of affliction. He's conveying this idea that you can have joy and, in, and inner peace. Listen to me. You can have joy 
an inner peace, even in the middle of a heavy pressure situation. And I would bet some of you watching are going, man, that is exactly what I need right now. That is exactly what I am looking for. I need more joy. I need inner peace, even in the middle of a heavy pressure situation. In fact, I've done a lot of international travel and missions trips and things. I have met more Christians in third world countries that have way more joy than most Americans than I have ever known. What is that? Why? They have less things. They have less good things happen to them. They don't get vacations. They don't have all the stuff. Why? Because that is a product of someone who has surrendered their whole heart to their whole life to Jesus. And they understand that circumstances don't dictate their joy, but the grace and love of Jesus brings joy every single day. And they're aware of it from the moment they wake up to the minute they go to bed. And there's so much more at joy without all the things that we're searching that we think are going to make us happy. By Paul's definition of joy, you can actually experience joy even in the middle of an election and a pandemic. For real, serious. So love, joy, peace, peace. The Greek word is this Irene, where, which is where we get the word serene. And it's this idea of calm. Think about this. How many of us, this is what we ultimately want. I want to feel calm. This idea of feeling complete or tranquility in the soul, similar to joy, that is unaffected by outer or outward circumstances or pressure. You know, the Jews, they have a word for this. It's called shalom. May the peace of God be on you. The Bible talks about a peace that goes beyond comprehension or is beyond understanding. It's that idea that God's spirit, I'm so connected to the vine that what comes out of me is this peace that even though there's outer craziness and there's pressure, I experience this inner shalom, this inner completeness and calm and everything is gonna be okay. And the truth of the matter is some of us have spent a lot of money, have a prescription or a subscription just trying to find a little bit of inner peace. And these three, love and joy and peace, these three show up time and time again in Paul's writing. They show up in Jesus's teaching. They speak often of love, joy, and peace. And they are the core reality that we experience in our spiritual journey with Jesus. They are central to what God wants for you on a regular basis. And they do not, this is the best, this is the part that's freeing. They aren't relegated to outer circumstances because if they were relegated to outer circumstances, then we're actually a slave to the world around us. But Jesus offers a kingdom and a way of living that is beyond what's outside of us. They're more than just emotions. They are overall conditions of the heart rather than things happen to me that work into me. It's something that's already into me and I live from the inside out. It flows out of me. They're not emotions. They're more than just pleasant feelings. These are love, joy, peace are the kinds of people that we can become, not things we can have, the kinds of people we can become through our following and our trust and our apprenticeship to Jesus who embodies all three of these things completely infinitely. Love, joy, and peace. And let me just tell you right now, it's not natural. You can't work up to find these things. You can't get more love. You can't try to get more peace. You can't work it out or work for it. You can't find it. It only comes from keeping in step with the spirit and having Jesus fill that hole in your heart. What we're talking about is contentment. See, I think ultimately that's what you really want. I think you really want to be content. It's what you ultimately value. You want to be able to say that no matter what happens to me, whether we get more, whether I get the promotion or whether I get less and I have less and there's hard times, I am okay with what we have. If I get less, we're gonna be okay. If we get more, we're gonna be okay. I love God, I love my family, I have purpose, I have an identity. 
That is ultimately what I think we ultimately value. It's what Paul writes in, in Philippians 4 when he says, I've learned to have a little and I've learned to have a lot. I can be content in all circumstances. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The context of that is this contentment of whether I've risen to the ranks and had all the things or I've been put in prison and persecuted and misunderstood. It doesn't matter because it doesn't affect what Paul is saying. None of that affects what goes on inside of me. Can you imagine what your life would look like if you could say it doesn't matter what goes on outside of me. It's not going to affect what happens inside of me. That's what God wants for you. That's what God has for all of us. Now, we're, we're only, by the way, we're only three and there's six more. That's how good news this is. But I want to take a minute and I want to give you something really practical because this kind of just, just jumped out to me and I want to help some of us experience this. And you're going to, and I want to talk about this, but I believe there is one thing that really keeps us from experiencing specifically those three things. I would say all nine of these, but specifically love, joy, and peace. I think there's one common enemy of all three of these that if we could eliminate this one thing, and it's not going to be easy, but if we could eliminate this one thing, we would experience more love. We would experience more joy. We would experience more peace. And that one thing is hurry. H-U-R-R-Y. You can type it in if you want. Hurry. I believe that one thing is keeping hurry is keeping more love and joy and peace at bay in our lives than perhaps anything else. Let's just think about, let's break it down for these two things. Let's just talk about love for a minute. Think about love. Love in its truest essence, the way God meant it to be, love is painfully time-consuming. Love requires a lot of time to listen and care and understand and empathize and build trust and build some sort of camaraderie. Love takes a lot of time. Parents know this. Lovers know this. Long-term friends know this. And here's the thing. There's no shortcut for it. There's no life hack. There's no killer app that can just get you, like Grubhub can't bring you more love with a click of a button because there's no way. Love takes an enormous amount of time and it takes an enormous amount of time to love well. For example, how many of us would say, you're like me, that your worst moments, how many of our worst moments as a husband or a wife, your worst moments as maybe a neighbor or a friend, your worst moments as a parent, or maybe your worst moment as a coworker have come when you were in a hurry and had too much on your plate. Think about it. Common denominator, right? What happens when we're in a hurry? We get anxiety we get, and we get frustrated and everything is elevated and we ooze anger and we ooze tension and we have this critical nagging, come on, let's go. And, 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 and we have all this, like we're yelling at people we typically love and we're saying things and we're feeling it. And why? Because we have too much on a plate, we're in a hurry. And all these things that we're feeling and experiencing are like opposite, the antithesis of love. See, here's what's true about love. Love has its own speed. Love has its own speed, an inner speed. It's a spiritual speed that is very different from the speed of the technological speed to which we are accustomed to the world and the culture that we live around. Ask yourself, how much is hurry and too much to do impeding your ability to receive love and give love and be love in our life? How many of us, our worst moments, 
because we just had too much to do. We were in a hurry. Not just love, but joy. Joy that, again, not the happiness that comes from exterior things, but that inner joy. It's interesting because spiritual masters, uh, secular psychologists, as well as mindfulness experts all agree that if there is a secret to happiness or a secret to finding joy, it is this one common theme and it is the idea of presence in the moment. It's this idea that the more present I am to the now, the here and now, the more grateful I can be for the here and now, and the more grateful I am for what is, which allows me to then tap into more joy. Do you hear that? The more I can be present in the here and now, the more grateful I can be for what is, and the more I experience joy. See, what's interesting, I found this to be true of a lot of people, a lot of Christians, specifically church people. We're notorious for vowing to give God our future. We say, God, I give you my future. And we do it with great virtue. And I think we mean it. I've probably said it 50 times. But here's the thing. The future is easy to give God for the simple fact that it's not yours yet. We don't have the future. We're offering God something we don't have. Do you know what's almost way more virtuous, way more worship-filled, way more difficult is to say, God, I give you the present. Because all we have is the present, the here and now, this moment, this pain, this issue, this concern, this joy, this gratitude, this surrender. When was the last time you said, God, I'm so thankful for the here and now. And I give you now, I give you this moment. I give you this day. I give you this meeting. I give you this car ride. I want to be grateful. I want to be full of gratitude and joy for what I have. And the more moments we slowly and gratefully turn over to God, the more we will tap into his joy. Not just giving him our future, but giving him our now. Some of us have vowed to give God our future. And it is a, if you've done that, it is a good thing to say, God, I give you my future. But I would say it is an equally good thing to give God your now. Love, joy, requiring us to be in the moment, not hurrying, and then peace, peace, hurry, peace, hurry. Peace is incompatible with hurry. They're like opposites. It's oil and water. Think about this, do me a favor, if you remember. Next time you're running late for anything, to catch a flight or to get to school or get to church or maybe to an appointment or you're overdue for an assignment or you're, you're just, you're running late to something. Take inventory, pay attention to what's going on inside and see if you feel the deep peace of God in your soul next time you're stuck in traffic or late to a meeting. If you're going, if you would notice, go all these things in the neck and, and think about it. You start out late, you get in the car and you're driving and you're like, you're already running late. So you already got anxiety, but every red light, it just fuels it more. And every time somebody cuts you off, it fuels you more. And then all this other stuff. And then the phone rings and you're already irritated. And if you were to take inventory of all the stuff that's going on inside, I bet you wouldn't go, oh yeah, that's peace. Oh, it's just so peaceful. I'm so grounded. I'm so calm. No, we wouldn't say that. Why? Because hurry is the antithesis of peace. Do you get a sense of being grounded? Do you get a sense of being peace? Do you sense his presence or do you feel something else? Do you see how possibly just eliminating hurry, possibly just eliminating hurry could be key to us experiencing more love, joy, and peace in our life. Yet, here's what's gonna happen. 
probably some of you are thinking, that's really good, I need to do that. But what's gonna happen is we're gonna go back to the world around us in a few hours or tomorrow or whenever, and we're gonna continue to try to cram more and more into our already overflow lives, some of us to try to find joy and happiness, or, or whatever, but just because there's too much to do and it's gonna force us to speed up to a frantic pace. And, and so we have to keep going, we have to do more and we'll rarely will slow down long enough to experience God's peace. And listen, hear me, I'm not saying that all busyness is bad. There's definitely a kind of busyness that means you are not wasting your time on trivial things, that you are being productive. The problem isn't having a lot to do, it's having too much to do and having to do too much in too little time. And the only way we try to do it is we cram all this in and we, we try to do more and we kick, hurt, we kick into a hurry gear and we gotta go. And as a tragic result, we slip out of love, we slip out of joy, and we slip out of peace. In fact, think about this. In our culture, slow has become a negative term, expressing contempt, disapproval, anger, a lessening of quality. It has this connotation of lower, less worth, uh, uh, less approved, or less respectable. For example, when someone has a low IQ, we dub them slow. When service at a restaurant is bad, we call it slow. When a movie is boring, we complain that it was slow. See, the message in our world and our culture is slow is bad, fast is good. But here's the kicker. In the upside down kingdom of God, our value system is turned up on its head and now hurry is the devil and slow is of Jesus because Jesus is what love and joy and peace look like in the flesh and blood. It's why Jesus always walked slowly through the crowd. How good is this? Isn't there something in you going, yes, this is what I ultimately want. This is what I value. This will make my life better. Jesus knew it and Paul knew it and they offer it and, and Jesus offers it freely. And by the way, Paul's not even done. He's only into the first three. I'll go quicker through the last ones. He says, here's more. Here's more of what God wants for you. Here's more of the good life. Here's more of what fruit can happen if you stay connected to the vine that is Jesus. He says, you'll also experience patience. Patience. In another letter, when Paul was describing and defining love in 1 Corinthians 13, you know what he said? Love is patient. You can't have love without patience. You know what the second thing he said is? Not only is love patient, but it's kind. I'm telling you, our marriage is good, not because I'm good, but because I married the most patient person I have ever met on the planet. Rebecca is unbelievably patient. I do not know how she does it. But I get to be on the receiving end of this love that is patient. It's real. Kindness the ability to be kind, even if people aren't kind to you. We say it all the time here. We got shirts and masks that say, dude, be kind. Well, it's easy to be kind when other people are kind to you, but what about when you have to take your car back to the mechanic or you've been online for 45 minutes waiting to talk to customer service, a real human being, or somebody else cut in line and you were already in line and they walked in. Can you still be kind? And God is saying, when you stay connected, if you experience my good life, if you keep in lockstep with my spirit, kindness will ooze out of you, even when your natural response should be, hey! God says, no, be kind. Goodness just being good, being good to people, doing good, the opposite of evil, faithfulness. Everybody wants this in a relationship. Be faithful, gentleness, dads, dads, husbands. How much would the culture of our home change if we had more gentleness in our tone, our body language, in the way we treated and approach our children or our wives? Bosses, I'm a CEO of a company, technically. How much would it change our work environment if we were gentle? And I know some of you are like, well, oh, no, no, no. Things don't have to get done at the expense of gentleness. I think you can be both. You can be kind and gentle and productive and a leader and an achiever. Self-control. 
How much, I want you to do this for me. Next time you go look at a bunch of riots or, or stuff on Facebook or CNN or Fox or whatever, everybody's losing their mind. And just think about this, ask yourself this question. How much different would that whole scenario be if everybody who was there embodied self-control, if they felt it and they experienced it and they had that flowing out of their lives? How much better would the world around us be if we had self-control? See, when you look at these, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, they're great attributes, but they are actually the fruit. They are the product of being connected to an actual vine that is a person. And that person is Jesus. We cannot muster these up and make them up in our lives. We have to have this idea that we have surrendered our lives and we have a personal relationship with Jesus. Pascal said, we have a vacuum sized shape or hole in our heart and it never can be filled with a created thing on earth. It only can be filled by God, the creator who is personified through Jesus. See how that works? Last week, we talked about trying to stuff politics and sexual morality and drunkenness and division and yelling and screaming and jealousy and how everything never filled the heart. There is, this is the most real truth I can tell you that the only thing that can fill that spot in your heart is Jesus. Jesus embodies all of these things. And life is less about avoiding those things of the flesh and more about pursuing these fruits of the spirit by pursuing a relationship with Jesus. The fruit of our life is the product of what we think about, what we consume, what we indulge in, and what we are connected to. You can't try harder to get more love, but you can connect to the one who has it. You can stay connected daily. And here's what Paul writes as he concludes in Galatians chapter five and verse 24, he says, those who belong to Christ, who are doing what I just said, they have actually crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. They're saying, when you have surrendered your life to Christ, Jesus now fills that hole and your flesh, and it has so much less power and the spirit, you can keep in lockstep with the spirit if you stay connected. See, Jesus's invitation, even it originally wasn't just to obey or submit or understand everything. It was just simply, hey, follow me, follow me. And you know what? If you were to ask Jesus, okay, Jesus, but where are we going? He wouldn't tell you a career path and he wouldn't tell you like a geographic location. You know what he would say? He'd say, follow me. Okay, Jesus, where are we going? We're going to love. We're going to joy. We're going to peace. We're heading towards patience and goodness. We're going to move towards self-control. Will I ever get anything accomplished? Yeah, you'll probably get more accomplished. Kindness does not impede progress. These are the things that we value. And this is where your heavenly father wants to lead you. These things, that's where Jesus wants to lead you. And that's where you want to go. That is where you want to go. How do I know that? Because you may not latch onto these things personally, but you value everything I'm talking about. How do I know that? Because you want the people that you are around to be characterized by these things. You want your son's future wife to be characterized by these things. You want your daughter's friends to be characterized by these things. You want to work for this person. You want to work with this person. You want to vacation with this family. You want your husband or your wife to be characterized by these things. You hope to meet somebody someday who is characterized by love, joy, gentleness, faithfulness, patience, and self-control. You may not have personally latched on all of them, but you value these and you pay attention to them because it's what you want everybody else to have. And lurking in the shadows of what you say you want is I believe this right here. And so back to the question we keep asking every week, what do you really want?
I told you I was gonna, we were gonna get here a couple weeks ago. I said, if we keep going down this journey, we might find out that what we really want and what God wants for us are way closer together than we ever imagined. And if you keep digging into this, what do I want question, and you get behind all the stuff and the experiences and the upgrades and the people and you dig, you're gonna get to things like meaning and significance and legacy. And eventually you might actually find yourself face to face with the will of the heavenly father for your life. Because as we said, freedom is not the absence of some things, but it's the presence of someone. It's the presence of Jesus. And so I want to talk to two people as we close. Maybe you've never said yes to a relationship with Jesus. We love to introduce people to Jesus. Every week people come to the the family of God through our ministry and we'd love to welcome you. And what does that mean? It just means you literally have to, in your heart and in your mind, to say to God, trusting he's there listening and real, saying, God, my way isn't working anymore. I want your good life. I surrender my life. I want you in my heart. I don't know how it all works. I don't understand it all, but I will follow you towards these things. And you trust that he wants to lead you on that journey. And if you do that, you can click the banner in the chat and we will connect with you and we will pray with you. And we, want to, we have some, some tools and resources to help you along that journey. And here's what happens. The moment you do that, and maybe your moment is just right now. The moment you do that, you receive Jesus as your savior by faith. God plants his spirit and his word into your heart like a seed. And you are spiritually born again, it talks about in John chapter three. And so you have that seed in you. And, and so maybe that's you, you need to take that step. And maybe others of us, we already have that seed. But once that seed is planted, you still have to water it. You have to grow it. You have to nurture it. It doesn't just grow on its own. Some of you, I know you want to see more spirit in your, more fruit of the spirit in your life, but you haven't watered that seed. You haven't nurtured it. You haven't taken care of it. And and it needs help. I I grew up in an agrarian area of agriculture community. No farmer plants a seed and just expects it to grow automatically. He knows he's got to take care of it. He's got to work the ground. He's got to help it grow. And so we can't just expect more love, more joy, more peace, and more patience if we don't spend time in God's word, reading it and memorizing it. Like David said, I will hide your word in my heart so I don't sin against you, so I don't miss what you have on me for me. If we don't spend time in prayer, if we don't ta- spend time changing the way we think, renewing our mind, we're going to talk about that next week, and letting the Spirit change the way we think. I am convinced that this, the fruit of the Spirit, is what you really ultimately want. And I know it's what God has for you. And so here's my question. What do I do with this? Well, first of all, I think the hurry thing could be big for some of us. But my second question is this. Are you willing to let the Holy Spirit reveal where maybe you're not in lockstep with him? Reveal some things that are keeping these out of your life. That word is called conviction and he wants to realign you so you can experience all that God has for you. The good life is having the freedom in Christ to pursue God's values over time versus what you think you want in the moment. And so if you need to surrender to Jesus for the first time, or you need to say, God, I need to get back to watering and growing and nurturing that seed that was planted so I can experience more of that fruit in my life. I believe that if we pray for it, that God says as a good loving father, he wants that for us and he will give it to us. So will you pray with me wherever you're at? And if you're new to this and you're saying, I need to make that decision, click on that banner and we'd love to celebrate and we'd love to pray and we'd love to connect with you. God, thank you for your word. I thank you for the fruit that you have for us. I thank you that you invite us to follow you on the path towards love and joy and peace and all the fruits of the spirit that, that we don't have to, to try harder just not to do the, 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 the things in our sinful nature, but that as we connect to you, Jesus, you shape our mindset. You, you do things inside of us that cause us to live differently. And so for anybody who's saying for the first time, I need Jesus, God, I pray that that, that seed would go deep and it would produce so much fruit in their life. And God, for others of us who are 
maybe watching this and we've said yes, but we haven't done anything with that seed in a long time. Would you drive us back to your word, to prayer? Would you, would you make that grow again? Would you help us to uncover all the things? Would, you, would we be humble enough to allow you to realign our lives so we can hear what you would say to us? And God, we just thank you that this is what you have for us. We want your good life. So Holy Spirit, come, fill us, equip us, empower us, and help us to do this as we stay connected to you. In Jesus' name, amen.